Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Who was the winner of the 2017 NBA Draft? The Kings. Will the Jimmy Butler trade haunt the Bulls for years to come? What is the future of the power forward position in the NBA? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the 2017 NBA Draft live analysis on B-Ball Breakdown. It's a Periscope, it's YouTube, it's a uh, podcast for tomorrow. And as always, I'm joined by Dave Dufour. And we also have a very special guest with us today, Adam Stanko, friend of the Breakdown, who is our basketball insider. So really excited to have all you guys on. And um, let's break it down. What do you guys say? Uh, any, any thoughts initially from the first uh, hour of this draft? Well, I think we, we you got to start with Markel Fultz, obviously, the pick that we knew was going to happen. Um, the thing is, to me, Markel Fultz checks all the boxes. You know, 6'4", unbelievable in the pick and roll, can shoot it, finishes over bigs. He's got strength. Of course, the big question mark with him, his team went 2-16 and 16 in league play in the Pac-12 this year. And, you know, people killed Ben Simmons for winning 19 games at LSU. So... Um, you know, there's been some questions about his passion, how much he really loves the game. But in terms of this fit for Philly, I mean, you've obviously uh, spoken about it many times, Coach. But, you know, Dave, I, I'm curious as to your opinion, but I, I think the backcourt I'm super excited about. Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, obviously Embiid's health is, is critical and all, you know, Dario Sarge. But, but just in terms of that backcourt, how it's going to mix with Fultz and uh, Simmons, I'm, I'm excited to see the both of those guys play together. Well, so I guess, you know, that begs the question. Um, We've all assumed that Ben Simmons was going to be the nominal point guard, right? And, and I've had my concerns with that because of his lack of shooting. Well, Mark, Markel Fultz actually allows that to work a little bit where you have Ben Simmons as sort of that secondary playmaker. He could sort of be their Draymond Green where he can grab a rebound on the defensive end, turn and start a break. And his passing in the open court, he will come into the league as one of the three best passers in the open court. I watched him last year in summer league. And my, my jaw dropped anytime he got out on a break. It's going to be fantastic. I still have concerns about the shooting, and I'm really high on Dario Saric. And so, you know, I worry about, you know, are we going to see enough Saric? They'll find a way to get him, get him minutes. Um, but I think Markel Fultz's pick-and-roll game with Joel Embiid is going to be fantastic. I mean, they might be the best under-25 pick-and-roll combo that we've ever seen. Unbelievable. Yep. Unbelievable. And, and the, the other thing I would say about that is that Fultz is a guy who's incredibly exciting, but like I said, you have questions about his passion. But I think in a weird way, like, this sort of fits to me, whereas he doesn't have to be the guy. You know, he's not walking into a situation. If he were to go to the Lakers, let's say, there, the expectations and all the pressure on him, in Philly, yes, there's going to be high expectations for him as a player, but I'm, I'm excited about the fact that you know, people are excited to see Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid's got a target on his back. It's almost like they can go through the fire together 
And there's a part of that that I'm just thinking is, is the coolest thing, that these guys are all going to experience this. I just wonder about, you know, where's the veteran leadership? And is this, you know, have they, have they become a culture of losing? And can they turn that around? That's my only question about what the Sixers are doing. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Nick, uh, you still just got just me on the camera. Just I, I, I uh, it was not me. It's my computer. Uh, simply doesn't want to react to the button of pressing. So I think we got it back. There you go. Uh, but spinning baseball of hell is just staring at me in the face. So we're struggling through the processor power of my computer, and uh, I hope that it's going to be back. So I won't even mess with it. I was trying to do some, you know, some cool, you know, uh, close-ups of everybody, but I think we're going to keep it like it is now and have all three of us at the same time the whole time. So uh, I think it was a great point you all made about the Sixers, and I think this is this is the beginning of the process becoming into full fruition. Can't wait to see uh, Fultz out there running uh, pick and rolls with Ben Simmons and then with Embiid. Those three together should cause a lot of problems. Uh, do, does anybody have any kind of uh, reserve, reservations about what might happen with Fultz as he you know, gets into the NBA floor? Uh, Adam. Maybe. Uh, well, I, look, listen, I, guys I talked to that watched Washington practices had said sometimes maybe they didn't take it that seriously, you know, that he's shooting a lot of half-court shots during practice and that kind of thing. But keep in mind, he went to Washington – he thought he'd be playing with a couple guys that were in the NBA by the time he got there, and Marquise Chris and DeJounte Murray, who turned out, obviously, to have some good rookie seasons. I think that I, I think Fultz never even wanted to be in college. I think he's one of these guys that expected he'd just go right to the league. There's, there's no question about the kind of kid he is. And I think that, again, this I think is just such a great situation for him where they're all going to go through it together. Like Dave was talking about earlier, there were questions about Ben Simmons becoming like a full-time point guard. But to me, there was also questions about could Markel Fultz come in and run a team right away? And I think in a weird way, like they balance each other so well, especially Markel shoots the ball so well from deep and he finishes over bigs. Like, I, I'm on you go down and check all the boxes other than some of the intangibles, like just on the court stuff that you would want in a player. Markel Fultz is like the perfect guard for today's NBA. Yeah, and you know, some of the concerns about like the not winning thing, look, I, that just. We're going to not act like, you know, basketball is a team sport and the guys around him just weren't very good. You know, that's about the coaching staff. That's about the recruiting ability of the of the coach. Um, I'm not going to fault this guy for that. Like we got to see, look at what he did with no good players around him. You know, we bring this up all the time for Steph Curry. Like, you know, everyone knows the famous Lovedale, the stat that the, the Phoenix Suns scouting staff kept for Steph Curry. All of these passes that he made to guys who were wide open and they missed the shot. Well, Markel Fultz had a similar situation. He didn't have any talent around him outside of himself, and look at how great he was. He, I think he's going to be good. He looks like a guy who's going to be a 20-8 and eight guy in the NBA. Maybe not his rookie year, but like by the time he hits all-star level in two or three years, uh, yeah, uh, he looks money. Absolutely. Well, very exciting stuff on that end. Let's talk for a second about the trade uh, that happened with Minnesota. I think we people want to hear about that as well. So let's break into that real quick. We had Jimmy Butler goes to Minnesota. Uh, Zach Levine goes back. Uh, there's a pick involved in there. Uh, Dave, just run us through what the trade was. Okay, so it was uh, Zach Levine, uh, Dunn, and the number seven pick for Jimmy Butler and number 16. And, you know, when I saw it was – Levine, Dunn, and number seven for Butler, uh, my initial thought was, oh, that's not bad. I, I mean, the, you know, the Bulls got that, – that's not a decent – you know, that's not a too, uh, too bad of a haul for Butler. 
Um, I still think they should have taken three and whatever Boston was giving them, but maybe that offer dried up. And then I saw that they gave up number 16, and all of a sudden it goes from like, you know, maybe a B minus to a C plus down to like a D. I think giving up 16 makes that trade so much worse. And, and I mean, I don't know, man. The, the Bulls just seem to be rudderless. Okay. Uh, that's, that's an interesting term. I mean, Levine is a good player. He's going to be exciting in, in uh, Chicago, I imagine. But, yeah, uh, I think that you're still going to have Wade controlling a lot of things out there. they got a Rondo problem they have to solve. Although, needless to say, Rondo was the reason why they were up 2 nothing in the playoffs this year. He goes down and they can't win. Uh, he's, he showed something to me there that we hadn't seen for a while. So, you know, look, I think I think priority number one now before before we get to free agency is that the Bulls are going to sit down with Wade, who just opted into his twenty four million dollar option, um, <laughs> which is insane. Uh, I think they're going to start talking buyout now. And if I'm the Bulls, I'm taking a hard line with him because, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to have him when you need to develop these young guys. I think that you take a hard line and you say, look. We can negotiate a buyout or you can sit on the bench and not play. I think Wade will do the buyout and then go to a contender. Fair enough. Sounds good to you, Adam. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the interesting one is, is you know, Lowry Markkinen now, <clears throat> um, you know, with this draft pick. I think I think Markkinen is, you know, Dave and I differ on this, but I think he's a guy that can get into rotations in the NBA right away. He's bigger than people think. He's got a good frame on him. He's only going to get stronger. People knocked his rebounding. He still averaged over seven boards a game, and he did. He was inconsistent with it. There, there's no doubt. But his shooting ability is unbelievable. He was one of the best shooters in the country, and at that size, is just such a unique player. And I, I think people just think of him as one-dimensional. But I saw some in terms of him, you know, pump faking, having drives to the hoop, some spin moves. Um, he's raw in terms of the other offensive parts of his game. But I'm excited about what Larry Markkinen is going to be. And, and the other guy in all this stuff that I think hasn't really been talked about is Chris Dunn. You know, um, it's the, the thing that's kind of crazy to me is how quickly it feels like, you know, if you were going to draw major conclusions to this deal, like how quickly they gave up on Chris Dunn. You know, because Chris Dunn last year was being talked about as, you, you know, this savior at the guard position and a guy that could get out there, defend, he's explosive, can do all these things. And uh, I, I still have high hopes for Chris Dunn, and I'm curious as to what maybe, you know, what maybe they saw that they, they didn't necessarily love from Chris Dunn on a, on a daily basis. Uh, and I hear you. I actually was watching, you know, at some point in the middle of the year, whatever it was, and I realized he just didn't have any confidence. He didn't look like an NBA player. There were, he was just making mistakes that were bad. I, I, I don't know if Thibodeau was getting on him and just yelling at him and they, it was grading. I do know that that style uh, of, of coaching that Thibodeau was doing uh, didn't go over great with a lot of the young guys out there. So uh, perhaps this is going to be a really good change of pace. I know Hoiberg is going to be a very steady presence for him and probably really encouraging the ball should move a little bit more. Perhaps we'll see one of those you know, uh, Spurs things where when the starters go out – we get more of that hoy ball, and then we'll see some of that from Chris Dunn because I had high hopes too. But you know, there was definitely moments where I would have been like, "Yeah, there's, this guy's not an NBA player," but uh, he definitely deserves at least one more chance uh, in, in a different scenario. And if you want to find out who won the trade between the Chicago Bulls and the Minnesota Timberwolves, or just confirm to your own eyes that it's definitely the Wolves, then you're gonna need tickets to the game to see for yourself. 
So beat the Andersons to the best seats in the house by using SeatGeek, the best app for finding tickets to sporting events and concerts. It searches multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. Plus, you can see the vantage point from every seat. And they are guaranteed, so you know your seats are legit. So whether you want to watch LeBron and Kyrie, Steph or Durant, or Rose and Noah, use SeatGeek to find your tickets. Plus, you'll get $20 off your first purchase if you use my code, CoachNick. That's right, I've got some serious cloud over there and managed to get you a nice discount. So ignore all the other codes you hear and type in CoachNick in the setting under promo code, Comedy Clubs, and the Theta. SeatGeek! So, and, and then, so to move back to the draft, so the number yes. two pick, Lonzo Ball, anticlimactic. I was rooting for the Lakers to not take him um, just because I wanted the Lakers fans to, to have to deal with some disappointment. Um, uh, but anyway, Lonzo, I mean, he's going to be fun there. Um, let's see, number three wound up being uh, Tatum to uh, going to Boston. Remains to be seen if he's going to stay there. How do you like that fit, Adam? Do you think he plays? Well, I, I... Uh, I think he's going to. I think he's going to play. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Jay Crowder and you know that whole you know mess sort of of a Boston backcourt. I mean, what they do there. I mean, first of all, you got Isaiah Thomas getting his six million dollars this coming year, and then who knows you know what happens to Isaiah Thomas. Plus, with the hip injury he's got going on, you got Marcus Smart, you've got Rozier, uh, and of course Avery Bradley, who was terrific in the playoffs, and I love Avery Bradley. I feel like two coaches on the panel that you guys probably both are in love with Avery Bradley too. Um, but I, yeah, I, I love Jason Tatum. To me, he's, he's Paul Pierce 2.0. Um, I just think that he's one of the craftiest players in college basketball. He can really shoot it. Anybody that watched coach Nick's breakdown, I thought was perfect. Like he does hold the ball a little bit too long at times, but I think he can score in transition. You know, his mid range game is terrific. I, I think there's just a lot to love about Tatum. I just love, his patience, and maybe he was too patient at times, but I really love his patience, and Boston obviously needs another score to pair with Isaiah Thomas. I think he's a better defender than people think also. I think he can guard threes and fours, so I, I, I really love the pick. Do you, but do you think that he could be a scorer like that aggressively his first year? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, in fact, I think that this year, I don't think we got to see the true you know, Jason Tatum that, that existed as a high school player. Um, I think he's going to be more explosive. He's going to be more talented. He came back from a foot sprain. He missed, you know, I think his first nine games of the year and never tr truly got comfortable. Plus, there's the balance that Coach K wants within the Duke system. Coach K was out. The lineup was getting shifted all the time. Kennard and Grayson Allen, those guys were on the bench. Then coming back and playing, starter and not. So I just feel like there was not a lot of cohesiveness this year. I think with Boston, I think he's going to find a home. They're going to. Um, you're going to see a much more explosive player. I, I do. I think you're going to – now, I think you're going to see a guy that might score 15 a game this year for Boston. That's wow. that's what I would expect, as long as he stays, which obviously there still could be a chance that he gets moved. That's right. true. They're, they're still working on that Paul George trade. Um, so number four was Josh Jackson, which, you know, have you ever – do you, Nick, do you remember a guy who wasn't going number one being as in demand as Josh Jackson? You know, it's funny. When I first started breaking down his game way back in March in preparation for the breakdown I released back then, I kind of had to say to myself, you know, if this guy is like the third best player in the draft, then maybe this draft isn't as deep as people say. However, I kind of dug more into the into the, into the footage, and then I saw some more of the passing, which I guess I didn't quite see when I first was looking at the footage. 
And so, yeah, this is one of those weird things where, you know, could he be the best player of them all simply because the intangibles, which is the length that he has. He'll be like, you know, Steph Curry will never have the length that Kevin Durant has. And so that's an advantage Kevin Durant's always going to have no matter how great Curry is going to be. And this is Josh Jackson's the same idea because I was thinking, well, geez, is he sort of like a little bit like the Wiggins, Kansas thing where he's just not quite, you know, ever going to develop his, his potential. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm really impressed by him, and I do think that there's a big upside. But then again, I, I like Tatum too. I think both of those guys are going to be good. I don't think it's clear-cut to me that Jackson's going to be that much better than Tatum could be. Adam? David, David, that's such an interesting question about the in-demand idea. I, again, I think this goes back to this draft being so deep. And really, like, people can vary on, you know, you, normally you have your tier system and say, okay, we can all agree these guys are top top four, that, that's our first tier, and, and then five through ten. And then maybe there's some disagreement amongst those. But, like, in this draft, I feel like, you know, we can all say we're in love with ten guys that are there. Now, some of them we may disagree, but it just shows you the depth of this draft because there's stuff to like about a lot of the players that are available. And I think Josh Jackson, like, fits into all that. I think the biggest thing about him is as soon as you watch Josh Jackson on the floor, you're like, this guy looks like an NBA player. Like he has the length of today's NBA player. Obviously there's a hitch in his shot. That's going to be a little bit different, but he can pass it. He can handle it. And he's super competitive. So I feel like Josh Jackson could be a guy that we're talking about as a first team, you know, all defense guy in the league in, in the next few years. Like, I just think he has that kind of potential as a lockdown one-on-one defense. Fender. Now, the other parts of his game, whether they translate, like, still I think we remains to be seen. There's, there's some stuff about his game that I think is kind of raw, but, but I really love him as an athlete and a competitor, and certainly defensively his length is, is awesome. I yeah. think that he is the NBA, right? Like, like when we talk about the modern NBA, it's 6'7 to 6'9. You can guard one through four, five if it's a small ball lineup. Um, you can hit threes, you know, like you can hit spot up threes, which, you know, I know he's got this weird thing with his shot and Nick, you'll appreciate this. So he puts the ball out in front of him instead of dipping. So some coach at some point told him not to, not to dip. And so instead of doing a dip, he does that unnatural thing. So it's a quick fix for an NBA shooting coach that knows what he's doing. Like these idiot coaches that tell kids not to dip. Like, yeah. you know, well, and the other thing ridiculous. I noticed, he doesn't get his wrist back uh, until it's way late until up in, the, exactly. in that thing. Another so, one of those things instantly can I be fixed. I think he'll be a 40 percent three point shooter. And, wow. you know, like when I like when Boston, like I think Boston should have taken him because then you've got you've got Jalen Brown. You've got him. You've got Crowder. I mean, that's just like to me, that's a murder lineup. Those three guys, um, they can they can switch between two and four. They can all hit threes. I, I just think. They've made a mistake by taking Tatum instead of Jackson. But I love Jackson for Phoenix. They need a three, a physical three like that. I mean, T.J. Warren can get you buckets, but Josh Jackson should be able to get you like 16 to 18 a game with plus defense. And I think that that's crucial in the NBA. Not to mention, if you go small with Chris at the five and Jackson at the four, I mean, could you imagine uh, Devin Booker throwing lobs to those guys? Come on, man. You can't run the floor with them. Now, Putting them on the floor together is awesome. And the, the one thing I will say about Jackson, though, shot under 60% from the line this year, which, which scares me for a wing. I mean, he shot 56% from the line, and you want to make sure you have a guy that can obviously hit free yeah. throws. You know, shooting free throws is a lot like shaving, wouldn't you say? You're all by yourself at the sink. The pressure's on to get a good, close shave. And the razor needs to fit your hand just like the ball does. Well... 
The best shave I've ever had was from Harry's Razors. I just sent two Father's Day sets to both my father and father-in-law, and they can't get over how smooth the shave is. The handle is lightweight but balanced beautifully, and the blades are high quality, and you can get them delivered to your door at half the price of the leading five-blade razor. And you know who that is, I'm sure. So stop having to ask a drugstore clerk to open up the lock display case and choose Harry's. If you click over to harrys.com slash coach Nick, you'll even get their trial shave set for free. Just pay three bucks for shipping. Both Harry's and I am so confident you'll love them, you'll continue using them. So visit harrys.com slash coach Nick and treat your face right. And we've seen like, you know, people are trying to insist in the stats guys that there is a direct correlation between free throw shooting and threes. And I can't argue that in a macro sense, there seems to be that is a good predictor. But uh, everybody I talk to that's a coach or on the floor, we have a hard time seeing the practical connection between a free throw right. and then shooting a three-pointer live in a game with guys that are running at you. But either way, I do want to talk about the power forward position for a brief minute because I think what we're getting at here is that Three, four years from now, this notion of what a power forward is, I think is going to be radically different. I don't think you're going to have to be worried about guys banging you down low as much. You can have kind of rail-thin 6'11 dudes who have a yep. little core strength who are going to be able to play that position because they're going to get out on the perimeter. They can blow by guys and they can put the ball in the deck. And I think that's what we're going to see. We, we saw that in the finals this year where you had these really weird, long, you know, for long stretches, uh, small ball lineups for both teams. And uh, that's what I think we're going to get to. Now, Dave, are you a little bit worried if that really does happen, that it turns into sort of that glorified uh, all-star game with a little more defense? No, I'm not at all. I mean, we, I, I mean, the Warriors, to me, are the best example of this, right? Like their small ball lineup not only murders you on offense, but they murder you on defense, too. Like, I mean, the, they are by far the most vicious lineup in the league, and they're tiny, right? Like, I mean, now, saying that Kevin Durant, who's seven feet tall, is tiny, I know that that's kind of – kind of horseshit, but they really like compared to like a traditional lineup, they're small and they play the hell out of defense. I think that the bigger issue is, uh, you know, how are you attacking those defenses? And, and I think that as everything gets more nuanced, it's going to be harder to play defense. And so you, it may wind up feeling like an all-star game, but the defenses will eventually catch up. So I think what we're seeing right now is that the defense hasn't quite caught up to the changes in the game and they will. I think it's going to – we're about to hit – I mean, I already think that we're at the best point for talent in the league and, and style of play, and I think it's going to get better. We're about to hit the real, like, gold age of the NBA. Like, I mean, so many good athletes, so many talented players. I mean, this is the best shooting we've ever had in the NBA. Like, there's no mid-range shooting, which, you know, all the old people hate. But these guys are pulling up from 30 – confidently and hitting it like I'm down with that that's the yeah. NBA I want to watch now uh, Adam I don't want to interrupt you on this one but we do we should get to the next picks and we can kind of come back to this in a little bit because oh, cool. we have De'Aaron Fox who got picked by the Kings now I think we're all really excited about what the Kings are doing and I don't know I think I want to make uh, Dave you know stew a little bit longer because I know he's so excited to talk about it so uh, let me throw this to you Adam first How, what do you uh, what was what about De'Aaron Fox's game gets you out of your chair well, for, he's he's the human blur. Like, you can't stay in front of De'Aaron Fox. He gets to wherever he wants to on the floor. And, you know, he can also finish once he gets to the rim, whether, you know, using the rim as protection and, and finishing off glass or whether just taking it for a dunk. Guy's incredibly explosive. And he's just got a charisma about him that just gets 
the whole arena charged up. And that's going to be the great thing to see in Sacramento. For the first time in a long time, they're going to have someone that gets the fans excited, you know, and he's going to get the rest of his team excited. Um, and he's a competitor. I mean, we saw what he did against Lonzo Ball twice. You know, there's a lot of talk about what he did during the NCAA tournament against Lonzo Ball, you know, putting up his best career game. But also earlier in the year when Kentucky lost to UCLA, Fox got the better of him. He causes havoc on the defensive end, too. He gets he gets up in your shorts, and he's so tough because he's just so active. And, and the, the last thing I would say about him is that he got better as the season went on, and all of a sudden the SEC tournament, the NCAA tournament, that's when he was at his best. He's a guy that likes the bright lights and the big moment. I mean, there's not a lot to dislike about De'Aaron Fox. People are going to talk about his shooting, but um, last nine games of the year actually shot 47% from three. And Dave has mentioned before, you know, he loves the fact he thinks that De'Aaron Fox is going to turn into a shooter at the, at the next level. Dave? My turn? Yes. <laughs> All right, look, I, I think it just to me it makes sense to talk about the, the Kings' three picks, okay? Because what they did, the, trading 10 for 15 and 20 is the savviest move that they've made, barring the Bellinelli trade last year, the savviest move they've made since this ownership group took over this team. Fantastic. In a deep draft, you're, you, like having 15 to 20 is great. So they get De'Aaron Fox at 5. They get Justin Jackson at 15, and then they took a flyer on Harry Giles at 20. This, like, they got an A-plus to me in this draft. I think De'Aaron Fox could wind up being the most talented guy coming out. I mean, he could be. I think Dennis Smith will be, but De'Aaron Fox has that sort of potential. I think he will shoot the basketball. There's nothing wrong with his shot. It's a bit of a two-motion shot, but I think he'll be fine. You know, they need to get a shooting coach in there and, and work with them, but they need to do that anyway. They've got so many young guys. Um, but you have him, uh, Buddy Heald, two guys that are high character. They want to be there. And that's so important for a team that has been in the dumps like the Kings has been. This is how you change culture. And in order to be successful over a long time in the NBA, you've got to have the right culture. Spurs, Warriors, Celtics, you know what I mean? The, the Miami Heat. Like it's, that's, it's organizational culture that's important. And it can sometimes be top down, but you're better off if you find the right guys, set the tone from the top, and have the guys build that culture. And I think that that's what they're trying to do. And I love, I love how athletic their lineup is going to be. It's gonna, it's gonna be, they're gonna be must watch league pass all stars. It's gonna be great. Yeah, it's gonna be really fun. But remember, you can change the culture like overnight as well. And I think the Warriors are a good example of that. As soon as Steve Kerr came in there, because the culture certainly wasn't like it is now, uh, almost instantly they were able to transform that. And I think that it's two things. One, you know, listen, I, I guess we're gonna give Lade a pass for some of the stumbles he had earlier and this, and, and everything else. He, he uh, they, you know, these some of these dumb moves like the pick swap. But um, you know, getting rid of uh, Bookie Cousins, I think, took a huge uh, weight off of everyone's shoulders. The cloud was lifted, and uh, they're going to actually just have fun playing basketball again. And so, yeah, I think we're going to see these younger guys. Uh, you know, Ben McLemore, if he stays uh, and comes back to the Kings, I don't know what his deal is. Like, there's a guy that directly was uh, – his play was directly affected negatively by playing alongside Boogie. So uh, this is going to be a big thing for them. And I, and I think we all think that Buddy's going to have a huge year. Absolutely. And, you know, and, look, it got Scal, who was a top five talent in last year's draft. In every redraft, he's been in the top five. Um, Willie Cauley-Stein, who, you know, should be something close to, you know, like 75 to 85 percent of Tyson Chandler. And that's pretty good. 
Uh, Malachi Richardson, 3 and D wing. I mean, like, they really do have a lot of young guys. Now you got to hope that Jaeger can put this stuff together. Yep. Well, and, and, and here's, the, here's the other thing I would say about the Kings is that we always talk about, oh, well, in today's NBA, you know, because of the cost-cutting maneuvers, you want to build, build through the draft. Right, and and we saw that the Warriors did that. They built through the draft essentially, and then obviously went out and you supplement that if you can get a superstar free agent. But here's the thing: it's important to to understand which draft you want to build in. And the Kings this year are doing that with the amount of picks they got in this very deep draft. And I think that was such a smart play to go all in on on this draft. And and to Dave's point, the guys like the Malachi Richardsons and the Scows, like. They're a lot different players when they're playing on bad teams. But you put guys like that all of a sudden on good teams, and now they're exciting young players as opposed to guys that can't really help you off the bench. Sure. Well, let's move on to number six because Jonathan Isaac was taken by the Magic. And obviously the Magic are one of those teams that are looking for, uh, you know, some culture and some leadership. Uh, but again, they're adding another forward, you know, to this, like, weird lineup and weird roster they already have. So, um What's going on there, uh, Adam? You know, just break us break down Jonathan Isaac's games for us real quick, and what you what you see and how he fits into the NBA. Well, first of all, he's long. I mean, he's he's six eleven, and uh, he's a young talent. I mean, he's only nineteen years old, and he's shown the ability that he could shoot the basketball. People love the fact that he can defend. That all of a sudden he's a guy that you can basically put, and you know, whether it's you know two through five, they essentially say that Isaac could one day be be guarding you know that kind of range. I don't know that, that we're going to see that, but he does bring a great defensive effort. Um, the thing that scares me is that, and he's quick off the dribble. He's a, he's a quick kid. He's an athletic. Um, so he's exciting. I'm not in love with Jonathan Isaac's game. I think that I don't know that I've seen enough offensive polish yet. Um, and over the last six games of this past year, he averaged just eight and a half points a game. And I was kind of disappointed with what he did down the stretch. I, I've gotten killed on Twitter because I'm not in love with Jonathan Isaac. I like some of the other, you know, three, four men in this draft. He's been compared. People are saying, um, I'm trying to think of the, the one comparison that it was way off. But, um, but, but basically, people think about him as a, as a 3 and D guy that's just going to be a lockdown defender. I think defensively he'll be pretty good. Offensively, I think he still has a ways to go, although I do think he's going to be a really good locker room guy. Dave? Um, well, you know, this is more – my take is more an indictment on the Orlando Magic than it is on uh, Isaacs. I mean, you know, I think that he could have been a great guy to pair next to one of these offensive centers, uh, rim protector, you know, who could be a four and, and rim protect, small ball five. Um, to me, this just screws with Aaron Gordon. They're going to wind up playing him at the three next to Isaacs. I, I doubt we'll get to see much small ball with Isaacs at the five. I just think it was a mistake. I mean, unless they're going to move Gordon, like maybe they're soured on Gordon. I don't know. It was just a weird pick, uh, especially with a guy like Malik Monk, who was still on the board, would have been great for them there. But, you know, this is also the team that has taken Mario Hazonia, who is one of the most exciting international guys in the league. And, you know, what are they doing with him? You know, I, 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 that's what I'm saying. I don't understand the vision here for the Magic. Perhaps there are more, you know, deals in the works or something like that. But um, now, remind me, did they they fired the GM last year, right? Am I going crazy? Didn't yeah, Hennigan, Hennigan's gone, yeah. and they got John Hammond. And where would he come from? He was from somewhere. He came from the Bucks. 
Yes, right. Okay. So at least there's something there. But, uh, you know, he probably has his th- a three or four year plan that it's going to take a while to undo uh, what had gone on beforehand. So uh, Magic fans, I don't know. I, I hope you don't, you're not holding your breath for too long, but I think it's going to be a while in the wilderness until they can figure it out. Should we, let's move on to our next pick because uh, I think that uh, Adam and I are pretty uh, happy with this pick compared to, to, uh, to Dave. But Lowry Markinen got uh, taken by the Bulls and uh, after this trade. And so we did mention him briefly, um, but and we can kind of t- talk about him briefly right now. But again, I really am high on him. I think he eventually, if he can unlock that 25% athletic ability that it's hiding in there with proper training, uh, I think he can be one of those guys who's going to be a, a, a unicorn who's going to shoot threes, put the ball in the deck at seven feet. And um, he might not be able to guard that well, but other teams aren't going to be able to guard him either. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I exactly mirror what you're saying. I mean, the guy shoots with range. He's got a quick release. Um, and, again, he's going to be able to play, I think, right away for you. Um, you know, he's going to make his free throws. He'll get to the line. He can attack from the perimeter, too, if you if you close out on him quickly. I just think there's a lot to like about Larry Marketing. Now, granted, his postgame, you know, may need some work. But, again, as we've been talking about this whole time, in today's NBA, maybe you don't even need a post game if you're a seven footer with a three point shot. So that's that's my take on Mark. And in the inconsistency with the rebounding, that hurts because I know Dave's concerned. Where do you ultimately play him? Which I guess leads to Dave's part right now. Uh, yeah, I don't know what position he is. Um, he would kind of be a stretch five, I would assume. Um, I think if you play him at the four, he just can't hang. Like we just talked about, you know, if Josh Jackson's out there playing the four. Markinen does not have a place on the court. He just doesn't. He doesn't protect the rim at all. I'm, I mean, suspect rebounding. Um, you know, the shooting is legit. And, and, you know, now that they've got Zach Levine, I imagine Zach Levine and Markinen as a pretty dangerous pick-and-pop combination. I, I mean, that, that's going to be a real threat. And Levine's going to get some easy points because of the gravity Markinen should create as long as he's going to hit those NBA threes. Um, but I just think at seven, it's a reach. Fair enough. Uh, I, you know, and that's not a bad point. I don't know. I think I pictured him somewhere like in the first 10. So, you know, 10th might have been, you know, okay. Seventh, maybe a little high. So I, I hear you. But uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens because it sounds like Chicago might completely radically change. Yes, Dave, what do you have for us? Well, so, uh, you know, at, at number eight, um, the, the Knicks, and this is another weird one. The Knicks went with Frank Nilakina, who, while he, you know, he definitely has some tools and, and he's long and he should be able to shoot. Um, I just think that, again, another team that should have taken Malik Monk. Okay, Dave, what do you think? I mean, uh, Adam, what do you think? I completely agree with Dave. First of all, I think the Monk thing, when you're watching this draft, People are going to look back on it and say, how did Monk slip this far? You know, when, you know, Neil Aquina, I, I, I understand it. I get the length, like Dave says. I understand he can, he can defend. But, but really, first of all, the Knicks need some juice right now. And Malik Monk, to me, gives you juice right away. I mean, again, one of the most explosive players that you're going to find in college basketball. And maybe the best shooter in this draft when it's all said and done. And, he, and you know, Dave, said, Dave has said this multiple times, and I'm on, the, I'm on the, the, the same train with him. And that is Malik Monk is going to be able to get out of bed and get you your, you know, 16, 18 points a game. He just has exactly what you're looking for in an NBA guard right now. The ability to shoot from deep, get to the hole, and he's explosive. He can beat you off the dribble, and he's got a very quick, re- quick release. And, and, he can, and he can pull up 
and shoot, or he can shoot off the catch. So to me, like Malik Monk is this superstar, and I think any of these guys that we talk about, other than maybe Dennis Smith, that these teams took before Malik Monk, I think we have to first talk about the fact that they had a chance to get Malik Monk. But I don't know. Neil Akina, I, I just think there's a big question mark associated with him. I just don't see it. I don't. I think his handle's kind of shaky. I'm not sure that he really is a great distributor. I, I don't know. I'm not in love with that pick at all for the Knicks. Yeah, I, I'm convinced it's going to take him a year or two just to get used to the speed and the power and the strength of the, all the other NBA players either way, uh, which used to be a blanket statement for anybody coming over from Europe, and it's not that way as much anymore. But for, for him and what I've been looking at, it definitely feels like, yeah, that's still going to be an issue for him. So let's move on to uh, Dennis Smith. We, a lot of people are asking us in the comments about Dennis Smith going to Dallas. Um, you know, this is a good pick. Uh, does he fit in right now with what they got going on there, Dave? Uh, yeah, I think we're going to we're going to see the funkiest pick and roll in history as far as uh, athleticism goes. You're going to have Dirk, who's like maybe like a one athlete and Dennis Smith, who's a 10. And you know what? They are going to murder people with it. I think, you know, Carlisle does a great job with with point guards anyway, sort of like a point guard whisperer. And this is going to be the most athletic point guard he's ever coached. Dennis Smith is a freak athlete. He's going to score in bunches. He's going to he's going to distribute really really well in their system. Um, I still think they need you know, Nerlens Noel might be the best guy to to play center with Dennis Smith. Um, and then you've got Harrison Barnes who can stretch the floor. You've got Dirk who obviously stretches the hell out of the floor. And then I'm assuming Matthews will still be at the two. Um, that's that's a pretty good lineup. I think I think Dennis Smith is probably going to wind up being the rookie of the year just because he's in the best situation wow. uh, of any of these guys. Not just team culture, talent, but also fit. He fits perfectly with those guys. Adam? Yeah, I agree with you on, on all those points. You know, the guy he reminds me of so much, and yes, think about it. Uh, the guy he reminds me of, though, <laughs> in a weird way, is is Chris Paul. And not, from, and not necessarily Chris Paul's uh, distribution, but more so about Chris Paul's ability to score the basketball, the parts of Chris Paul's game, his low center of gravity, the way he uses strength, the way he absorbs contact, those kinds of things that he really has. Now imagine if Chris Paul, like Dave was just alluding to, is the 10 athlete. People don't understand what Dennis Smith can do. When he gets in the lane, he cocks back, and he's tomahawk dunking on people. It's it's unbelievable. Steve Francis, I think, is is the best comparison in terms of just his explosion at the rim. But Dennis Smith's just a better leader. He's a better point guard than Steve Francis ever was. I think he's going to be an incredibly exciting player to watch. I think he'll be the – him and Malik Monk are probably going to be the most exciting – and uh, De'Aaron Fox are going to be the most exciting players in this class, I think, for this first year. And I think I agree with Dave. He's probably going to have the best chance of winning Rookie of the Year. Oh, yeah. You know what? Now that you say that, I, I can totally see that because you'll get the minutes. That's the thing. He's going to get the playing time, so he'll get those numbers. And you know how that goes, rookie of the year. Just If you put up the numbers, they're going to win it based on that alone, usually the leading score if you're anywhere near the assist or whatever. So uh, I can easily Fultz see that. Simmons. Fultz what? and Simmons are going to split votes. Yeah, that's true, too. Right. That's so right, and, and Simmons is going to be considered a rookie this year, too. So um, we'll have to see. You never know, though. I mean, I, you know, we, we saw that with Michael Carter-Williams for the Sixers as well. They're going to play up-tempo, up a lot of opportunities, a lot of possessions. But uh, I hear you. And, and then you're right about what you said about Carlisle as well. They're going to be able to explain the game to him and make it clear and simple. Um, let's move on to our next pick, though, because we have at 10, the Kings took Zach Collins. And um, what's, uh, what's our quick reaction to that, Adam? Well, that's the, the trick – I'm sorry. That's the pick that Portland ended up trading for. 
And I know Dave. Before I even go into to Collins, uh, we got to get Dave's right. Dave's talk about the pick here. First of all, I, I've been on the record with this. Um, I don't trust white American guys drafted in the lottery. Um, the athleticism thing is real. Like, I mean, let's let's not beat around the bush. Like, it's a there's a real drop in athleticism for most of these guys. Um, Zach Collins is is at least two years away, and then from the Portland point of view. They gave up 15 and 20, and I remember I just applauded Sacramento for getting 15 and 20. So obviously, if you give it up, you're an idiot. Uh, so Portland kind of screwed the pooch, gave up two what could be two good picks for Zach Collins, Zach Collins, which was a reach at 10, and he's not even going to be able to be a backup center for two years. I mean, like unless they're thinking about him as the at the four, which he will just get roasted again. Like Lowry marketing. Can you imagine when Josh Jackson comes to town and is playing the four? I, like it just, it, it just doesn't. The fact that there are some teams that are still like way behind on this stuff is, is just mind boggling to me. And, and, and I love Nurkic, but Nurkic cannot cover for Dame, CJ and Zach Collins. I'm sorry. He's got to have some help on the court. Adam. Yeah. And, and my thing is that first of all, a guy played 17 minutes a game, at Gonzaga this past year. So we know he's a few years away. I mean, average 10 and five, but the bigger thing is just his frame right now. We, we both like the fact that he could shoot. I think he's going to be a good NBA player. I just think it's completely the wrong fit. It feels like Portland is close and needs some help up front. And I totally understand that. So trading up for Zach Collins means that you think that he's going to be able to contribute right away. I don't think you're getting that anytime soon. I love his skill set, but I think he's going to take time in the weight room and he's going to need time against NBA players. And again, it's going to be a couple of years away. I love his potential, but he's one of these guys. It feels like to me that he's going to be, he's going to end up falling out of the rotation. He's not, he's not going to get many minutes. And I think all of a sudden we're going to see him traded in a couple of years and say, whatever happened to Zach Collins. And I really hope that's not the case, but He's going to have a resurgence somewhere else, possibly. But I think if you're relying on him to step in and have minutes for you now, you're in trouble. Well, They've already got know. him on the roster. Well, you He's know, already on the roster. Well, you know, Myers Leonard, you know, could easily fall out of favor quickly. And they, who else are they going to throw out there? And, you know, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a version of the Matrix where he could actually find a way to contribute, you know, in, in a meaningful way in, you know, the 12 minutes a game they give him or whatever, where it's, you know, he's, he's polished enough to be able to handle that in, in that big guy role. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to sell that one just, so, just quickly yet. But uh, let's move on. Let's get to uh, Malik Monk because now we have my favorite young backcourt uh, in the league right now with the guy Kemba and Malik, and um, with those two guys, it's going to be, I think it's just going to be wild, right? I don't know if there's any other word to, to describe that. They're going to score in yeah. bunches. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. I mean, so, they're going to get out and run. They're going to push the pace. The big thing, the one, listen, we praise Malik Monk enough. The one thing I will say, he's a little bit undersized, you know, to play, to play off the ball, and I don't think you can really play him as your primary ball handler. But uh, and he got pushed around some from from bigger twos in the college level. He's going to get stronger, though. And athletically, the guy is out of this world. And and I love that he just attacks the rim with abandon. I know um, I know college coaches that were recruiting him when he was playing at prolific prep in, in Napa talked about that. He reminded them of Russell Westbrook, that that idea just wanted to punishing the rim when he attacked the hoop. And meanwhile, all we saw this year were, were his highlights from him you know, catching fire and hitting from, you know, 30 feet out, 25 feet out for, for Kentucky. So 
I think Malik Monk's going to be a super exciting player. And I, I cannot wait to see this, as you talked about, Kemba Walker, Malik Monk backcourt. It's awesome. we got to come up with a name for it. I feel like that that's kind of backcourt that needs a name. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, we'll, we'll have to put our caps on for that one. But So we kind of covered Malik Monk as we were talking about the Knicks and where he could fit in there uh, and how he's going to fit there because I feel like we got to – let's pick the pace up a little bit here, fellas, and try and get through in the first round. So we have the next pick here is Luke Kennard, who uh, – does he is, does he fall into that category you hate, I guess, Dave? Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, are you shocked? Um, I just think, again, man, like – it's just it's hard for me to trust guys that are kind of one dimensional. He's not a great athlete. He's a shooter, and that's fine. But I just think in the lottery, I need guys that can just do more. What what happened to Grayson Allen? My goodness gracious! Like how far he fell when well, he was supposed to be the guy up there, not getting drafted before any of these guys from Duke. And here we are. Uh, he's not. I don't think he's going to get drafted, right? Well, he returned to school. He returned to school. Oh, he returned so, again for another year. Yeah. He's yeah. he's so he's which, he's which, still. Which, is he alive and kicking? Yes. Yeah. He's, he's still there. He's just back in school. Alive and kicking. I love it. The, uh, <laughs> the thing with Luke Kennard is, first of all, though, it's weird because we're almost contradicting ourselves because if we do talk about the shooting in the league right now, I mean, he's one of the best shooters in the draft. He's also got a strong handle. He's got a creative mid-range game. Um, I, I think Luke Kennard is competitive. I think he's actually a valuable guy. And now, again, I asked you guys before we started this whole thing, can you can you sort of have an inside-out game with him and Drummond? And I got a resounding no from the both of you. But I do like, I do like Kennard. I think he's better than people think. I think his handle's better. And I think he was somewhat limited at Duke, if 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 that can be believed. Uh, okay. Well, you know, you're right. Again, get him a guy running through floppies and being that guy like that Redick kind of thing and uh, knocking down shots. That that you know, there there could be that situation. You never know. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. But again, I don't think he's a guy that's going to get a ton of minutes or a lot of opportunities in this first year either way, right? Yeah, no. I think that. Oh, go ahead. No, probably not. Right. I think we're looking at Kyle Singler 2.0. Aye. Okay. Well, that's not great. Well, let's move on to number 13, lucky number 13, with Donovan Mitchell up to the Nuggets. Um, you know, kind of an unheralded player, so, you know, jump in here. Uh, you know, Dave, do you want to throw some ideas about Donovan? Well, so, all right, so he actually uh, went to Utah. They, they oh, arranged a trade. Forgive Trey me, I'm Lyle looking at a list that doesn't have the updated stuff, so I'm just going right. over that in my memory. Okay, yes. Uh, it was Trey Lyles and number 34, I believe, for Donovan Mitchell, which – uh, for Utah, I think that's that's actually a pretty good deal. And um, Donovan Mitchell is going to be good. Uh, Adam, like I, I liked your take about him when we were talking uh, before we came live here on Periscope. Yeah, I think he's incredibly explosive. Russell Westbrook light is sort of the the comparison. I mean, the guy, both of them played two years. Both of them had you know maybe some unassuming uh, numbers. Mitchell had better numbers than Westbrook did at, at UCLA. But in terms of their shooting, almost identical two point and three point percentage. But the biggest thing about him is that he's another guy that's just incredibly explosive, incredibly strong, and he's competitive, natural leader. Like he plays both guard spots. He's a little bit undersized off the ball, but you know what? He competes, and he's a guy that is uh, going to be featured pretty soon. I mean, he's one of these guys that we're going to look at in two years and say Donovan Mitchell was awesome. I don't know how people didn't see it earlier. Sure, and then this, this could very well be a precursor towards uh, Gordon Hayward leaving, right? Dave? They may have an inkling. I, I, you know, some of these moves tonight makes me feel like they have an inkling that they're not going to keep Hayward and and they're going to, you know, try to keep chugging along. And and Mitchell might be a guy who's ready to to jump in there and and move into that two spot or the three spot 
uh, right away. So it's something to watch. I mean, we've got a, a few. What do we got? Uh, less about two weeks until free agency. So you know, we, we'll kind of have a better picture of this by Monday, I would assume. For sure. Well, let's move on to the next pick after that, which was uh, uh, Bam Adebayo, who was a little bit of a shocker, I think. None of us sort of picked him to go that early with the Heat. Um, And so what do we make of him? Is he actually going to be able to contribute right away, or is he still just too raw? Dave? Um, Yeah, I don't don't see why they made this pick. Uh, It was kind of a weird pick. You've got Whiteside on the max already. This is a team that almost made the playoffs, so you're – so you're thinking, okay, well, we want an impact player, a rotation guy, and I don't know that he's that at this point. Um, again, this could be something that is part of a bigger move, and so it's hard to judge picks like this where a guy really feels like a reach. It's hard to judge that right off the bat. I mean, it's not like they traded into this spot and drafted him, like with what Portland did. You know, like to me, that they're, they're, they were picking Zach Collins. With this, it could be that they were taking him because they're trying to work out a trade and and, and a team liked him, but if that trade falls through, they're okay with having him on the roster. Adam, what do you think? I didn't like the pick because John Collins is on the board, and I think if you have, you know, you're picking in this draft very deep, there's still a ton of talent, and you're going with a guy that, you know, somewhat productive at Kentucky, but but really was was the third wheel and didn't show me anything extra special. I mean, he came in as a, as a big recruit, didn't stand out. I don't think he's got one particular skill set that I look at and say this is going to translate not just as a as a starter but also as a specialist. I just don't think there's anything Bam does well. He's a pretty good rebounder. He's a good athlete. But I just feel like you have some guys you can take a risk. I feel like you're in a position with Miami, and John Collins is the guy to me that I would have gone with with, with that selection. I hear you. I, I agree with all those things, and I feel like we're this, this is kind of one of those guys who would have stayed three years in college and developed back in the day, gotten some better footwork and handled, and then you know just come in ready to go. So uh, the argument now is that they're not going to develop in college anymore. That that whole notion is kind of gone by the wayside. So he's better off taking some money, uh, working with NBA trainers uh, every day, all day, and not having to go to class and all that stuff. And you know he might Are accelerate that process every, every week. You know what? I have to kind of agree. I feel like uh, there could be a Pulitzer won by someone really going down deep and looking at like what these D1 schools are doing, how they're training them or not training them to, to you know, improve their skills um, and, and you know, expose that. Because it definitely feels that we're, that's, there's an excuse there. The one and done is an excuse, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean you still can't work with these kids in the proper way. Well, you know, the, the other thing from Miami's standpoint, you, you know, backup centers are cheap right now. Um, this week we've seen three centers get traded. Um, like they're, they're just a position, like there's not much value there. So taking him this high, didn't make any sense. They could have probably traded down to like 23 or 24 and taken someone of similar, like a similar composition. You know what I mean? Like they could have picked a guy in a similar state, uh, reaching here at 14 for him. Didn't make any sense. I mean, I just thought there was more talented guys, or if you really want to take a reach, you go for a guy with a high upside, like Harry Giles or OG Ananobi, and you say, okay, yes, we're going to take a reach, but this is a guy who, if he hits, could be you know, a top 20 talent or top 30 talent, where I don't see that with him. 
Sure. Now, halfway through the first round here, uh, let's move on to the 15th pick. We have Justin Jackson going to the Kings. Another one of these picks that the Kings seem to have nailed because we're talking about culture. We're talking about you know kids who want to play hard and are coming from winning programs, by the way, which is definitely another big part of this. Um, and so it feels to me uh, that this is a great idea to bring him in. He'll fit in right, really well with all the uh, young talent they have. Uh, Adam, anything to be worried about with this pick? I don't think there's anything especially to be worried about. In fact, I think Justin Jackson's one of the safer picks in this first round. I mean, he's a guy that's going to score on all three levels. He's a tough shot maker. He's got good length. He's going to challenge and contest shots uh, on the perimeter. He's, he's not the quickest player, but he's a good shooter from outside. He's a smart player, and he's unselfish. So there's a lot to like about him. And, again, I, I think you can't look at any of these Kings picks, maybe other than Fox, individually but if you look at them collectively on the whole you can say i really like what they're doing just to sort of build their team through this draft i think this is the draft we're going to look back on and say for sure that like this is when the kings made the difference from when they went from a basement team to at least you know mid-level upper echelon sure and dave what do you think about justin's game jackson's game uh again i I think he fits in really well with what they're doing i mean I, i love the harry giles pick um, you know, for the high upside, I, I think Justin Jackson, you know, that was the guy that they needed. They needed kind of that, that three guy who could switch. And I think he'll give that to him. I don't know that. I mean, he, the odds of him being a top 20 player are low, but he's number 15. If he's a rotation guy, you scored. And I think he will be, I, I again, if it was me, I'm going to throw him out there or Malachi Richardson. I'm going to throw him in the starting lineup and I'm going to let them develop together and build chemistry and build value as well. Because, you know, uh, this is one of the things that Sam Hinkie, I think, is not lauded f- for enough. Look at what he did with Michael Carter-Williams, you know, where he rolled he, – he, th- there was an organizational initiative to play these young guys and play them a lot of minutes because they knew that there was a market inefficiency. It's sort of like Billy Bean with Moneyball, throwing those closers out there, getting them saved numbers. You get them these counting stats – Front offices that aren't as up to snuff as, as the Sixers were saw those counting stats, didn't watch the games as much, or thought, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal, and then you get value. Well, the Kings are in a perfect opportunity to do that with all these young guys. So they may actually be in a position to trade for a superstar because of how good this talent is if they just roll them out there and let, the, let them play. Yeah. Adam, what do you want to add to that? Well, yeah, I think it's so funny that Dave just uh, hit on that point because we had talked somewhat about that earlier with the idea that, you know, how you're building a team and how you structure a team. And, and in this case, like I think playing these guys, as Dave, as Dave mentioned, all of a sudden just adds tremendous value to what to what they have. And then all of a sudden now other teams are going to look at it. And I think I think too many times it goes to a discussion that we've we've hit on before, but that is that coaches want to play the veterans. They don't want to play the young guys because they're so worried about their job security. But if you're going to lose anyway, and you know that the the upper management is fine with you being young and losing as long as you're exciting, you you kill two birds with one stone, to today's point, about actually showcasing your young talent. And in some ways, you know, making them look better than they are because all of a sudden the guy's averaging 15 a game and you're going, oh, this guy could be a pretty good scorer for us. No, he's not truly a 15-point-a-game scorer. He's a 15-point-a-game scorer because there's not a lot of other talent on the team. 
I, I agree. I agree. So we'll find out. And boy, has Michael Cutter Williams dropped? I mean, the, any semblance of no, of, uh, of a star potential there we saw in that first year has really gone on the hill. He's lost uh, any kind of confidence, and maybe he never really had that skill to begin with. So um, let's move well, on. The to, insistence, the yep. insistence on him being a point guard is what's killed his career. I yeah. mean, he's a wing, and, and he's a non-shooting wing. He's he's like a less less talented defensive player version of Andre Robertson. Yeah, I, okay, I hear you. Well, let's move yeah. on to Justin Patton, who got picked by the Timberwolves, and uh, a bit of a project, it seems like, uh, but I love his motor. I feel like he gets up and down the court and runs hard, puts that, he actually puts his head down to run hard, which is probably you know what you don't want to have happen, but at least it's, there's the notion of, I want to get down the court fast, beat my man down, pin him to the, uh, my back, and get an easy shot. So I could see a guy like that, if it, that's really how he, is, he plays hard all the time, then Thibodeau would probably like a guy like this without question. Dave? I, I mean, my issue, my biggest issue is he's a seven footer that can't rebound or doesn't rebound. And, you know, um, that's a skill that we know translates uh, to the NBA. And, and so I, I just don't know how you get on the court on that team. You know, he's got to now he's got to get past uh, Dang. He's got to. Yeah, he's got to get past Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, he's not going to do that. So, you know, he's going to probably just ride the pine and I don't know, waste away. <laughs> Adam, is there any hope for him? I don't. I don't think so. He was he was redshirted his first year at Creighton because they didn't think that he was ready to play. And now here we are a year later, the the rare redshirt one and done. But I, I I think that you know, like Dave says, I mean he's he's not a very good rebounder. I don't think he's going to become a very good rebounder. He's also you know a poor free throw shooter. The one thing that's of interest is that in in limited three point attempts, he actually made some threes last year. So you know maybe there's a chance that he could become some type of pick-and-pop guy and also use him in pick-and-roll situations because he's kind of got quick feet and, uh, you know, is good um, slipping some screens. But I, I don't know. I, I don't think we'll ever even get a chance to see him on the court enough for that to even take place. All right. Well, fair enough. We can then move on. And, of course, uh, as I'm trying to refresh my uh, list here, we are on to uh, da, da, da. DJ Wilson. DJ Wilson. Selected by the Bucks. By the Bucks. Um, and um, so, yeah, what, do you, what are we thinking, Adam? Is this a, was this a good pick by them? Well, here's the thing. I think he sort of fits. Uh, Dave and I kind of disagree on this point, but I think he sort of fits in what they're looking to do. They continue to add length. They continue to take take risks on guys, and obviously different management now. Um, you know, in Milwaukee, so you know, sort of keeping that same pattern, but with different management. But uh, he, he doesn't rebound, and we were just talking about that. The weird part about DJ Wilson, he's long. He's over six ten. You know, two thirty five. Um, he's got some ability we didn't see early in his career that all of a sudden showcased this year, especially, you know, as he started to hit the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament. But I think the biggest thing for him is that he's got a cool, you know, mid-range game skill set. He can put the ball on the floor, and he's a good energy guy. But, you know, Dave sees him more as a five. So, Dave, your, your, your take on what sort of the Bucks are doing with Wilson there. Yeah, I think especially with the Bucks, I think that, you know, he's 6'10", he's got a 7'3 wingspan. I think that what you're looking at is a guy that once Henson's gone and Monroe is gone, he's going to basically be Thon Maker's backup. Or he's the third guy behind Thon Maker. And, um, you know, like, I don't know that he's going to be amazing, but like you pointed out, he can hit a mid-range shot, so that doesn't kill their spacing completely. And uh, and he's super long. I mean, at like seven three wingspan, that that's going to get the job done on a team full of arms. They just added more arms. So um, I mean, he's not it's not the worst pick, but I, I still think that you know again, some of these teams they they 
this was a little bit too safe of a pick. I would have liked to seen them go for Harry Giles or something like that. Basically, all of these teams that are competing or competitive or close to being in the playoffs that had these picks, if they took a pick like like DJ Wilson, I really feel like Giles or Ananobi should have been the pick. Just Fair get enough. that high upside guy. If you hit yeah. on him, you, you you just strike gold. And if you look at what the Warriors did, hitting on Draymond Green is a reason why they've won 70 games per season for the last three years. Hitting on that pick at number 35. Yeah, right. The, the, the Patrick McCaw of, of their team, that kind of thing. And so, you know, we've we've kind of hit that time where we got into the uh, the first round is now in the books. Everyone's been picked. And I think we need to kind of let's just sort of coalesce the last bit of this first round into we you know choose a player choose a pick in the last and so we, that it's happened you know in between now and the thirtieth pick that you want to highlight as you wrap up this show uh, that you want to make a good point on. So who wants to go first, Dave? Do you have an Adam? Idea? Go first. Right. Oh, Adam, Adam gets go, first. go first. Okay, I'll go. I, I Caleb Swanigan to me. We we talked about the Trailblazers and uh, you know what what we thought they lacked in in going for Zach Collins. It looks like they're trying to find their guy, um, you know, and they and they went in two different directions. One, Zach Collins, a guy you think maybe in the future he can show you some. Caleb Swanigan was probably the most productive player in college basketball last year. He rebounds at an incredible rate. He's strong. The guy was 360 pounds is like an eighth grader, and he's lost a ton of weight. He's in great physical shape now, and I love how hard he plays. He works. He's not your classic four-man athlete. But he does step outside and shoot the three ball really well, and he's a really good passer. So I think in terms of all his, his skill set, his size, his strength, and, uh, um, and, and his relentless play, I love Caleb Swanigan. He's a guy that's going to actually, I think, have a really bright future in the NBA. Again, may struggle some if you, if you try to play him at the five and, and he's trying to score against five men. He has some issues there. But I think the fact that he can step outside gives you so many different options, and the fact that he can pass it. I, I love that pick for the Blazers. So as much as we were killing them a little bit before, I think this is sort of the perfect match. I almost could imagine the two picks being swapped where Caleb Swanigan's the kind of guy you move up to get and Zach Collins the kind of guy you take a chance on. Interesting. Sort of like, sort of like the Kings last year with, uh, with Scal and uh, Papianis. Right. <laughs> and, and you know what? <laughs> They're going to end up coming out pretty okay on both those picks either way. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm going to go a little off brand because usually I would I would congratulate the Spurs and the Spurs got a good one in Derek uh, Derek White. Um, the Lakers taking Josh Hart at number 30, I think, is a fantastic pick, especially since D, uh, D'Angelo Russell's gone. They got Lonzo. They've got a now they've got a two guard who is going to step onto the court and be their best shooter from day one. Like they they didn't have any guys. Uh, that could shoot over 35, it was like 35%, except for Brooke Lopez after the Brooke Lopez trade, right? Like, so he's going to come in, he's going to be a 40, 42% three point shooter from day one. He's going to light it up. And I think he should start day one. Um, and again, roll those young guys out there and let them go, especially if they don't have Paul George. You know, like, it's a, you're playing for different reasons then, trying to build value. And uh, I just I love him as a shooter. And, I, you know, I liked him for any team. I really thought that it, basically I thought the Spurs were going to take him. So I was really shocked he was still there at 30. But congratulations to the magic or to, to Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka for really making a very, very, very intelligent pick. Josh Hart's going to be great. And Lakers fans are going to blow up about him. 
Wow. Well, you know, that's a fantastic analysis on that. I think I have, you know, a couple of guys. One guy I want to definitely shout out is Jared Allen. The Nets picked him up. And another guy with a really good motor can really get down the floor. And you know what? He's got some ability. So I think that, you know, the, the one thing that um, their coaching staff has is player development. They're really good at that. So I would think that, you know, they're not going to turn it around, you know, yet either. I think they're going to probably – they probably – Dave, do they have their first-round pick for next year, finally? Um, for, no, for 2018, it it, it goes to uh, to Boston. Okay, so they're incentivized. Um, they might want to try and you know get these games you know make more competitive and try and win. So uh, that's been my argument the whole time. That 2018 pick is not nearly as valuable as this year's pick because there's they have no incentive to tank. Right. And so we're going to see something out there. They're going to try and coach him hard. And I think that that could be a really good thing. So I liked that caught my eye. And it's, it's you know, not always one of the things that do that. And then TJ Leaf uh, with the Pacers, uh, again, one of those guys, there is one version of the Matrix where he could probably have an impact and be well, but there's probably 10 or 12 that where he's just going to struggle in the same way as the, um, uh, the kid from Gonzaga. Um, help me. Collins. Collins, thank you. Um, in a way that, uh, you know, another one of those American white guys. But nonetheless, um, fantastic show. Really amazing with the audience we've had here. A lot of people just have stayed with us this whole time. Packed full of information. If you missed part of this or any amount of this, this will be up on our podcast tomorrow morning, bright and early. Uh, again, Dave, as always, a stalwart with terrific uh, information across the board. Uh, Adam, what a pleasure to have you, friend of the breakdown, to come on and give us all your college insight. Uh, I hope you had as much fun as, as I did having you on. I had a blast. It was it was great meeting Dave. This has been uh, insightful. I learned a bunch from the both of you guys. Awesome, Dave. This is uh, a blast. You know, thank you I, again. And uh, yeah, everyone, uh, we'll we'll have to do this again. We'll have to have another three way pod and figure out what we can cover uh, as well. So, terrific stuff. Um, I can't thank you guys enough for joining us for this nice long uh, live show across all these different platforms. And uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, guys? Yeah, always. I am. Always.